This is the World in Brief from the Economist. Our top stories: Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva won Brazil's knife-edge presidential runoff with 50.8 percent of the vote. The leftist former president beat Jair Bolsonaro, the right-wing incumbent, and will be sworn in on January 1st, 2023. It is an astonishing comeback. After losing the presidency in 2010, Lula was imprisoned on corruption charges in 2018. Tensions ran high on Sunday after supporters of Lula accused federal police of erecting roadblocks to suppress turnout in some constituencies. Mr. Bolsonaro has yet to concede. The president of South Korea, Yoon Suk-yeol, declared a period of national mourning as the death toll from a crush during Halloween celebrations in Seoul, the capital, rose to 154. Another 149 were injured, and the city has reportedly received thousands of missing persons reports. Mr. Yoon promised an official investigation into the tragedy, which took place in a popular nightlife district. Russia launched several missile strikes on Ukraine, including on the capital Kyiv, causing electricity and water outages, according to Ukrainian officials. Dmitry Kuleba, the foreign minister, tweeted that quote, "critical infrastructure had been hit and accused Russia of targeting civilians." Separately, Britain's defense ministry said many of Russia's newly mobilized reservists were poorly equipped, using rifles that were in quote, "barely usable condition." Turkey, Ukraine, and the UN vowed to press ahead with the Black Sea grain deal despite Russia withdrawing from the pact. Officials said they would implement a plan that would allow 12 ships to leave Ukrainian ports on Monday. Russia pulled out of the deal after claiming that Ukrainian drones had attacked Russian ships taking part in the initiative. The withdrawal provoked outrage from the West and raised fears of global starvation. Videos show workers fleeing a huge iPhone assembly plant in Zhengzhou in central China after the facility was locked down to contain a COVID-19 outbreak. Reuters reported that the disruption at the factory could result in 30% fewer smartphones being produced there in November. China shows no sign of abandoning its zero-COVID policy despite the damage to its economy. At least 141 people died after a suspension bridge for pedestrians collapsed into a river in India's western state of Gujarat. The century-old bridge had been closed for renovation for seven months and only reopened to the public a few days before the accident. Officials said they would investigate whether it was inspected properly beforehand. Widespread demonstrations against the government continued in Iran, defying a warning issued by the regime's Revolutionary Guards on Saturday. Thousands of students and others were confronted by police firing tear gas and live rounds. The protests were sparked by the death of Masa Amini after she was arrested by police for wearing an improper hijab on September 13th. And fact of the day. 1.7 trillion dollars, the amount President Joe Biden has pledged to spend in bills on infrastructure, semiconductors, and the environment over the next decade. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. New Italian government, familiar economic problems. Italy's latest GDP figure is due out on Monday. The preliminary estimate is expected to show the economy flatlined at best in the third quarter after a healthy performance in the first half of the year. Parliament's budgetary committee on October 19th 
predicted a quarter-on-quarter drop of 0.2%, and that was before Friday's shocker, a leap in the annual rate of consumer price inflation in October to a wholly unexpected 12.8% from 9.4% the previous month. The energy-driven inflation affecting the whole of Europe is among several economic headaches for Georgia Maloney's newly installed right-wing government. Ms. Maloney is expected to introduce a package of measures to mitigate the impact on households of rising prices. With Italy's government debt already amounting to 150% of GDP, there is a limit to how much she can spend without unsettling investors. A market crisis is the very last thing her government needs. Just ask Liz Truss. Affirmative Actions Last Stand Since 1978, America's Supreme Court has allowed the limited use of racial preferences in university admissions to foster the educational benefits of diversity. In 2003 and 2016, legal challenges to affirmative action fell one vote short in the highest court. But on Monday, a pair of cases involving Harvard University and the University of North Carolina give the justices another opportunity to nix race-conscious admissions. The court's six Republican-appointed members should be a receptive audience. Students for Fair Admissions, the plaintiff in both suits, is the brainchild of Edward Bloom, a conservative activist who brought the previous cases too. SFFA argues that Grutter v. Bollinger, the 2003 decision, is, quote, egregiously wrong and must be overturned. Harvard's tip for Black and Hispanic students is not modest, but, quote, mammoth, the organization says, and, quote, discriminates against Asian Americans. Harvard counters that its policies, quote, fully align with the constitutional requirement of equal protection and reflect, quote, common sense reality, not stereotype. Hong Kong's financial summit mired in COVID. After more than two years largely sealed off from the outside world and a violent crackdown on democracy, Hong Kong's reputation has taken a beating. But the government hopes to revive its vulnerable status as Asia's top commercial hub this week with a high-profile summit of global leaders from the finance industry. It will be a hard sell. Hong Kong is still physically isolated from mainland China as a result of zero COVID policies, threatening its traditional role as a business gateway to the mainland economy. Wall Street bosses are among the attendees, but some will be notable by their absence. A recent COVID-19 diagnosis will keep the head of Citigroup, Jane Fraser, at home. Hong Kong still requires multiple tests for visitors and enforced isolation for those testing positive. Paul Chan, the city's financial secretary, aims to attend despite having contracted COVID on a trip to Saudi Arabia. Zero COVID, it seems, still means lots of COVID. Ukraine's grain, stuck at port again. Not a single ship packed with grain and other foodstuffs was able to leave Ukraine on Sunday, after Russia backed out of a deal guaranteeing safe passage for commercial vessels through the Black Sea. Russia announced it was suspending its participation in a UN-brokered agreement, quote, for an indefinite period, on Saturday, in response to a Ukrainian attack on its Black Sea fleet earlier that day. Since early August, when the deal came into effect, 
Ukraine has been able to export more than 9 million tons of grain, saving its farmers from bankruptcy. The agreement has also eased a global food shortage, brought down prices, and prevented some 100 million people from falling into extreme poverty, according to the UN. Its collapse would undo many of those gains. It may also expose Ukraine's ports, whose waters have been demined to allow ships to pass, to new Russian attacks. Merit Oppenheim's Storm in a Teacup Merit Oppenheim was 22 and chatting with Pablo Picasso and Dora Maar in a Paris cafe when she dreamt up the artwork that would make her famous, a fur-covered cup, saucer, and spoon that she called Object. Hailed as quintessentially surrealist, this playfully erotic and unnerving sculpture caused a sensation for decades. Yet Oppenheim herself, who died in 1985, has largely escaped notice. Merit Oppenheim, My Exhibition, a grand survey of more than 180 works at New York's Museum of Modern Art, should fix this error of omission. The show arrives at a time when curators everywhere have become fascinated again by the Freudian dreamscapes of surrealism, and keen on highlighting the often overlooked work of women. A few years into her star turn as a surrealist, Oppenheim broke free from a movement that often dismissed women as muses, only to continue innovating in semi-obscurity. Nobody will give you freedom, she observed. You have to take it. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Monday. Which New Testament gospel is widely considered to be part of a two-volume work along with the Acts of the Apostles? Finally, here's the quote of the day from John Keats. I was never afraid of failure, for I would sooner fail than not be among the greatest. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.